Good evening. Welcome to The Pipeline. This is the Western Standards weekly news panel show where we pick a few of the top stories of the week and break them down, interpret them, argue about them, and lay them all out for you to interpret for yourselves. So thank you very much for joining us tonight. we got lots to cover. I'm going to start and get the other part out of the way first, though, of course, and talk about who's helped pay our bills so we can do these shows. And our sponsor is fantastic. It's the Canadian Shooting Sports Association. Uh, if you're a firearm owner, whether you're a hunter, a collector, target shooter, doesn't really matter. You really, really need to be a member of this association. This is safety in numbers, guys. We've got a government that wants to take away your right and ability to safely and responsibly, of course, use firearms. If you don't stand up for yourself, they're going to win. The association gets you together with other firearms owners and they advocate on your behalf responsibly. So check them out. Take out a membership. It's an investment in your own freedoms. Canadian <coughs> Shooting Sports Association. Their website is cssa-cila.org. And, uh, or you can just Google them, of course, Canadian Shooting Sports Association. Take out a membership, guys. It'll be well worth it. All right, lots to cover. Before we go there, I will uh, turn to Sean in a moment, but I'll introduce the other ones joining us today. We're starting with uh, here, Nigel Hannaford, our opinion editor. Good uh, evening, Nigel. Good evening to you too, Corey. And, uh, I was hearing you getting... Still hot under the collar. I see that. I expect he'll be very vociferous today. <laughs> well, that's no office politics in the, on the show, huh? but anyway, we're... we're we're, we're looking forward to getting into it. We've got some great subjects here. Oh, good. Yeah, I was getting wound up and ranting myself a little bit earlier today, but that's that's what I do. People, we heard. Ex people expect it of me. And our news editor, Dave Naylor. Corey, how's it going? I'd just like to point out Nigel with his three pages, single type research, me a sticky note. Four lines. He's <laughs> got memory, and I've got illegible scrawl on my notepad that I just write on to make it look like I'm doing I kind of like his better, actually. Well, they all work. <laughs> so he's a real newsman. All right. Well, we'll get into the first story, though. And the other person joining us today, uh, remotely, though, is Sean Polzer, our business and energy reporter. Hey, Sean, how's it going over there? Doing all right. How are you? Good. Good. Uh, so, I'll start with, you know, getting you to kind of run us through it. The The big climate fest of the year has ended. They had a, a record-breaking turnout. We were all impressed to see such luminaries go over there and discuss how to save us all from ourselves. And that being COP28, uh, well, uh, what, what, what did they resolve and what are the plans, Sean? Well, uh, I don't know if it's a, a climax or if it's anticlimactic. Uh, you know, it depends on your point of view. Um, apparently, it went into overtime and... Uh, Mr. Gibault was uh, pronouncing from the Dubai International Airport, where he was about to uh, jet off and create his own emissions profile, um, about the success of uh, reaching an agreement that actually mentions the words fossil fuels for the very first time. It's the first time that they've had, ever had a draft of any kind of an agreement or text, and that includes the Paris Accord, that actually mentions fossil fuels. So he was... Uh, pretty happy about it, pretty chipper and taking a lot of credit, but uh, nobody really knows what it means. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it looks like he's going to climax all over the Canadian economy with this thing. I mean, they're actually mentioning phasing out, you know, outright bringing about to an end. That's sort of a new conclusion or being a lot more overt with that intention this time around, aren't they? Well, it doesn't specifically say phase out. What it says is uh, kind of that uh, just transition it's a it's a transition in a just and equitable way 
that uh, supposedly doesn't penalize uh, some of these smaller energy poor countries, but uh, it's not clear whether or not it actually penalizes big emitters and polluters like uh, India and China. They, there's no indication that they're uh, advancing on any of their timelines to reduce their emissions, which is 2060 and 2070 respectively, compared to 2050 for uh, the rest of us mere mortals on the on the pantheon of the climate greats. So that sounds a bit like like par for the course in a way, though. I mean, a lot of fluff, <laughs> a lot of ironically hot air. I mean, they make their statements, Nigel. They talk about how they're going to save the world, but they don't really delve into the specifics too often with this because they don't want to really commit themselves. to Well, something. of course they don't. And you know, one thing that you can guarantee is not going to happen. This will not be the tomorrow's news that the Chinese representative goes back to Beijing, checks into the Central Committee, and says, "Well, guys." We're going to have to start doing things differently now, aren't we? <laughs> you know, if whatever they agree to, the Chinese have no intention of phasing out fossil fuels, especially not coal. And it's not as if they have the option of even buying Canadian natural gas, were they so inclined. So, Mr. Gibault is, um, like everybody else, he's entitled to have his little moment of glory there, but I think it's going to be a pretty short-lived moment because not much is going to happen out of this, except maybe in Canada, and we know what that we know what that looks like. Well, so like Dave, you know, I mean, you've written enough stories on it over the years. I mean, part of it's, it's feeling empowered, though. I mean, we know Gil Bowles always wanted to come after it, and, and, and now he can say, well, look, I've got the world behind me, guys. This is so important. We, we, we need to intervene. Yeah, but he's kind of wrong, Corey. I mean, we it was almost getting to the point where his emissions cap, we, we didn't know it was going to come out or not uh, because he hadn't mentioned it. And then uh, talking to Sean earlier, he thinks orders came down from Trudeau and it was announced late last week and he was able to prance around uh, like a peacock and say, we're doing this, we're doing this. Well, okay, yeah, Canada is doing a lot, but the rest of the world isn't. Uh, Germany's coal online, you know, they're looking at doing coal into the future. Uh, you know, countries signing long-term deals for, for natural gas. And sadly, it's not Alberta natural gas. So it's uh, the rest of the world going one way and all, and Canada going the other. Well, so, Sean, I mean, as predictable as, as the usual uh, suspects in, in their interpretations of what they got out of that meeting, what, what about the response from uh, Premier Smith and, uh, and the Environment Minister here? Uh, that, kind of predictable as well, I guess, but uh, uh, justified, or some of us would think. read this statement that came from the premier's office this morning. Wow, it was a doozy, uh, accusing uh, Gibault, uh, Mr. Gibault of uh, treachery and uh, being an embarrassment and overstepping his bounds, his uh, delusional and unconstitutional and illegal uh, pronouncements. You'll notice I'm wearing green today, right? I, uh, that, that was a deliberate choice. Oh, <laughs> oh you're sitting I, in the world one little gesture at a time. I think the Premier and uh, uh, Minister Schultz are probably wearing red after uh, they landed back down in town in Calgary because, uh, yeah, that was a pretty uh, strongly worded statement, to say the least. Have you heard? And I can't blame them. You know, uh, they were blindsided by this emissions cap. We were blindsided by it because it didn't look like um, Minister Zabol was even going to uh, announce that they presented him with an emissions cap, a ball cap that said emissions on it. And uh, he told the person at the time that he wasn't sure that he was even going to be able to wear it at the conference. So not only did we get an emissions cap, but we also got 
a methane cap on cattle. So now, <laughs> no. oh, the cow burps. I, I'd forgotten about that. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, but I mean, these things are, are more than just, I mean, it's laughable when you talk about uh, Trudeau's plans to regulate our cow belches. He can't get out there and catch the flatus or burps from the cows himself, but he can certainly make eating beef more expensive. And that's the way this is going to work out. Yeah. And I think what we've done is we've reached a new low in Alberta uh, relations with Ottawa to use the word treachery. Uh, to describe the actions of the federal minister and uh, uh, embarrassment on the world stage. Those are very, very strong, uh, usually, you know, not very diplomatic words to use, yeah. Nigel. Nothing to, well, really nothing to lose at the moment. What Smith needs right now is Albertans 100% behind her. And uh, there really isn't, I mean, Gilboa has not left any avenues of uh, compromise. It's not like you said, well, if you do this, then we can do that and we can work together. No, no, no. This is all one way. So she's now backed into a corner. You either fight back or you knuckle under. And she's not going to knuckle under. No, she's staying strong for sure. Absolutely. Her, <coughs> supporters will, her supporters will demand that and that's what they're going to get. The battle lines are being drawn. So, Sean, uh, aside from our politicians and everything, what have you heard from the business community? I know the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers was pretty critical about the emissions caps. Uh, have there been other business organizations or groups or, or sort of larger vocal companies speaking up yet on this? Uh, nothing that could really be said in good company. Uh, let's just put it that way. Um, these uh, industry associations are usually quite careful with how they couch uh, the statements that were made and... Um, you know, Mr. Jabol and also uh, Energy Minister Wilkinson uh, kind of seemed to imply that somehow that they were on board with some of these caps and that it wasn't a cap on production. Um, you know, it's a cap on emissions. Uh, Minister Wilkinson made a comment that it doesn't make much sense to shut in Canadian oil only to have it produced by countries with worse uh, environmental and social records. But uh, that's not what I was hearing. So in the polite statements, uh, these groups were saying that yes, this this could definitely amount to an emission to a production cut uh, to meet these requirements. Um, they weren't sure that it was necessary given the progress that the industry has made. And uh, I even had a couple people. Well, they told me that they were on the record and that I could quote them, but I I decided not to. I, discretion was a better part of valor because uh, they said some pretty nasty things about the environment minister behind closed doors. <laughs> Well, leave that to me. I got a plenty of nasty things. They can just quote me from that uh, crazed eye, orange jumpsuit wearing extremist lunatic, we call it. Uh, you're being kind, Corey. You're being kind. Oh, you see what I say when I'm off camera. Well, what do you do? Thank you for not quoting me. Uh, I guess, Corey, the question is how much damage can these people do in 22 months? Well, yeah, if we think we're getting rid of. Prime Minister Trudeau, fine, but the investment chill that can be applied uh, and the court challenges and, and just the general disruption is, is immeasurable. Yeah, and, uh, Trudeau made it clear again today that he is going to run in the next election, uh, despite the fact he lost support from a couple of MPs over an issue we'll get to, to later on. So so he shows no sign of uh, uh, reining himself in and, uh, you know, uh, Gilbo is in lunatic mode. So I think the answer to your question is a lot. Mm -hmm. They can cause a lot of damage in 22 months. Yeah. Well, there'd be lots for you to cover for a while, Sean. Uh, you know, yeah, more, anything uh, more you'd like to let us know about this uh, in closing before we let you get back at it so you can keep uh, scribbling out those stories on the whole thing? 
Idle hands. Idle hands do the devil's work, Corey. <laughs> where's, uh, where's the next cop uh, being held at, Sean? Do you know? Uh, you know what? I haven't even checked. Um, so th that's another thing that comes out of this is um, supposedly they draft this text and they need agreement among all the 200 members. The only one that abstained was uh, Iran because they left the conference early um, after the Israelis showed up. So they, they left in, in protest, so they weren't even around. But uh, the idea is, is that everybody takes this uh, piece of paper back home. They chew on it a little bit. They try to figure out what it means and what it means to them. And then uh, they'll come back and uh, make progress reports on it in the subsequent uh, cops when, when they come. So I'll, I'll have to look that one up for you. I, I haven't even checked where it is. So, so Dave, what, uh, what you missed on your four line on your little post-it note here is the uh, Azerbaijan is going to host COP29. Oh, oh, that's a hot tourist destination. A hot tourist destination. <laughs> I uh, got there first before me. Have a few energy aspirations themselves, yeah. do they not? Hey, Sean, you feel like spending a couple weeks in Azerbaijan at the next conference? Oh, I, I couldn't spend, uh, think of a better way that I would really want to spend my time. <laughs> oh, sort of Vladivostok or something. You know, they, they don't seem to pick the smaller spots with the, they, they need better food and, and accommodations. Uh, Dubai might have been fun, but uh, yeah, Azerbaijan, I'm not even sure what they have there. Isn't there a space thinking, I'm thinking of you in the role of Borat, you know, in, in uh, <laughs> Azerbaijan, this was flying in on the old Super Connie. Uh, <laughs> Uh, oh, well, as we'll laugh for now until the policies come down yes. and we will uh, shiver and cry as winter hits and we can't afford the heating bills due to that uh, skin flint of a boss we have here at the Standard. But we can always just put on a sweater, I guess. But all right, I'll let you go, Sean. Uh, thank you very much for bringing us up to date on this the latest climate conference. I'm sure you got plenty more to write yet. Okay, well, thank you very much, guys. Great, right, thanks. And yes, Sean writes a lot of great stuff on there. Good in-depth uh, business and energy reporting. So I just want to remind everybody, if you haven't subscribed yet, get on there, guys. WesternStandard.news slash membership. Ten bucks a month, $100 a year. Well worth it. You can get past the paywall, see Nigel's writings, my writings, and of course, uh, Dave and, and the rest of the gang out there. There's a lot of content constantly going up there. So, And if you've subscribed already, hey, thanks. We really do appreciate it. So, yes. You, you overlook Preston Manning and Conrad Black. True enough. We, 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 we've had some great you know, guest uh, columnists contributing. Mm -hmm. and yes, uh, again, you never know who's going to pop up there with some of the folks who fire in the odd uh, piece. I don't like those competitors. You don't want to read my stuff first. Can you explain Conrad's column to me? He used some really big words. Well, Dave, I actually, I didn't want to give the game away, but I got a dictionary for you oh, and, okay. and the Secret Santa Exchange. Oh, excellent. Yeah, excellent. so there you go. That's Okay. Oh, the secret Santa. I'm not going there. You know, one thing about I don't want to take us off topic, but I, he was surprisingly optimistic about the future. I was trying to make all the arguments of all going to go to hell in a handbasket. Oh, no, no, he said, Conrad. So it was towards the end of the interview. I'm going to have to pull that out and present it separately. Good. Sorry. Hey, Back to you, sir. Quite all right. Hey, we have a loose... Uh, don't we? Subject schedule around <laughs> Don't here. We? Anyways, we'll bring things a little closer to, to home. Though it's an issue that made national news. That was Calgary's Mayor Jody Gondek. Uh, it just won't seem to quite go away. Actually, this this uh, 
Uh, Dave, if you can kind of lay out for some of the people who might not have seen the stories on this already, uh, what did uh, her worship do to her? Her worship, yes. Uh, late last week, she put out a lengthy statement saying she would not attend the menorah lighting ceremony down at uh, Calgary's City Hall. Uh, Corey, as you know, this is a ceremony that's been going on for 30 years, and for 30 years, every single mayor has gone. Uh, but this year, Gondak said no uh, because she didn't want to pick sides, quote unquote, in the uh, in the ongoing conflict between Hamas and uh, and uh, and Israel. Uh, she was offended that I think one of the lines on the invitation said, you know, in, in support of Israel. Uh, I mean, imagine that, Corey, a Jewish ceremony in support of Israel. Who would have uh, who would have thought it? Unheard so, of. The uh, uh, the. Uh, Outrage was was unbelievable, really, to a level rarely seen. And across the country, uh, commentators were were, were furious. Uh, closer to home, I know uh, uh, you have written a column, and Nigel's written columns, and we've got letters. And over at the Calgary Herald, Don Braid even said she's a disgrace and has to go. And Rick Bell says she's a disgrace and and has to go. So, uh, you know, for a mayor that's been recording historic lows. Uh, in the polling, uh, I don't think this is going to help her much. No, you know, the, also, the, <clears throat> as she's trying to lay it down and do damage control, it just comes off as unconvincing. First of all, the first thing I re read of her comments was that she said, well, I mean, all of a sudden it became political. Well, she's a politician, you know, where two or three people are gathered together, there will a politician be. And uh, I, I don't know personally, but anecdotally, I hear that she's very good at getting out into small community groups and making her case and trying to win support. And all of a sudden, this is political. And then later it comes out, well, it looks like it's in support of Israel. So therefore, madam, are you, are you saying you're not in support of Israel? Who do you support in this uh, conflict? Because you have to have a, you have to be on one side or the other. There's no, it's no good just saying a plague on both sides. They're killing each other. So, who do you, where do you stand? And I think it's made it, she's made it pretty clear that she does not stand with Israel. So I have to assume that she's taken her, she is carrying water for the people who jumped the border and started shooting and Murdered stabbing and raping and, and, raping and, and burning and beheading. And uh, 12, before the day was done, 1,200 people were slaughtered, not killed, slaughtered. I, you know what? I'm against that. Uh, I can stand with Israel on that. It's, 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 it is a right or wrong. You know, she was saying taking sides in, in a conflict that has no sides. What a load of complete crap. I'm sorry, but only one side crossed the border, murdered babies, raped women, and, and took hundreds of hostages. Uh, but I mean, you know, the, it's almost a digression. Like we should, as, as outraged as we get, shouldn't let her pull us into that because that's the trap. Because this affair and this event wasn't about that. It was never about that. There was, I mean, you can't have Hanukkah without mentioning Israel. Israel has been a part of the Jewish faith for thousands of years. It didn't come about in 1948, as some people might think or act as if. And she politicized it. And that's part of, I think, what outraged so many people, though, because they saw right through it when she went and blamed those sneaky Jews for turning this into a political event when it was supposed to be just an expression of faith. They never did anything of the sort, and, and and nobody else could see that as well, and it's blown up in her own face, but she keeps doubling down. Yeah, she won't, uh, you know, she says she won't apologize or admit she did she did wrong, and one of the uh, one of the things that concerned her was that they, they were raffling off uh, 
Israel bonds. And as you know, Corey, this is a raffle that goes on every single year. It's a government of Israel bond, just like a, a government of Canada bond that they raffle off for children, you know, maybe to start their own bank account or, or something like that. Mm -hmm. But it got turned around into, well, it must be war bonds to, to fund the war effort. I mean, how ludicrous. Yeah. It, it's just, uh, it's just, you know, I think you said it on your show earlier today. I mean, who would have thought we'd be pining for the good old days of Nahid Nenshi? But yeah, this this mayor is is a disgrace. It is, and the war bonds. Just to explain, because some of the, the more loony followers of Gondek and others were trying to make that claim. So, part of Hanukkah. I mean, it's one of the few Jewish holidays are usually pretty morose affairs. There's not a lot of uh, you know upbeat things. It's usually the Jews coming out of one oppression or another, or Passover and and you know Seder and, and things like that. But Hanukkah, at least, is one I think is kind of westernized a bit to have some fun with the kids. Give out some money to the kids, things like that as well. I mean, it's another holiday talking about getting away from oppression again, and in that case with the Greeks. But part of it was you give out money to kids. And that's what this tradition was with the Israel bonds, was there's two of them for $100 each, and they'll do a raffle. They'll draw because there's a whole bunch of kids there. And two of the children will get, whether it's presumably to save for their education or whatever, a $100 bond each. She characterized that as a fundraiser, as if they were selling the bonds there, never corrected herself, never corrected that misinterpretation of what this was. And again, I think that's what people found so odious. She just couldn't say, I made a mistake, and that wasn't what it was about. No, she, she just keeps yeah. reading in something. Well, yeah. I, mean, I think that... People look weak when they change their minds. Uh, she must have been given some advice that, uh, you know, look, you've stuck your foot in it now. You're not going to make any uh, progress by pulling it out again. People aren't going to take you seriously. So if that's what you think, stick to it and look strong, you know. There was a mayoral predecessor who made a lot of mistakes, a guy named Ralph Klein. And, you who? know, he, he was quite good at admitting his mistakes and owning them and then moving uh -huh. on. In fact, people seem to have appreciated they it. They certainly and, did. I'm, well, uh, one I'm thing it was good advice. I'm saying yeah, I think yeah. that's probably the advice he got. Uh, one thing her statement did was uh, cause many more people to go down there who probably weren't going to go down there. And it was standing room only. It was packed. You know, the, 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 I think you said the, you know, the heat from all the bodies oh, was, was getting too much. I dragged poor Jane down there with me and we, we stood and, you know, took in it. And as I said, and most people haven't gone to something like this. Like, this is not a, a heavily religious thing. It's religious based, of course, but it's like a Christmas tree lighting. It's festive. There were children, you know, Jewish choirs singing, all sitting on the steps there off key. And, and uh, there were crafts for the kids. It was celebratory. You know, there was music. Uh, and I, I went in person anyways because I like to see things with my own eyes. I mean, if Rabbi Mautisov had been up there saying, flood the tunnels and bomb Gaza and things like well, then I would be concerned. I would be upset. But there was nothing of the sort. There was never going to be anything of the sort. And it was not a rally, as they tried to put it out as well. It's, it's something that's been happening for 35 years. But, you know, Corey, there's two things that sort of come out of this. One is that we referred to Preston Manning just now. And what he recommended is in his column. And the other thing is the fallout in, in Ottawa with Manning. I, I would really suggest that one of the biggest problems as that we face as conservatives is that we're lazy. We actually don't want much out of government other than to be left alone. And that leaves the field clear to the activists and the people with uh, outlandish points of view of which we seem to have a number in our own city city council. So what Preston Manning is saying, and I would urge people to go to the website, log in, look at, look at what he said. 
What Preston Manning is saying is, you've got two years. Start to organize. If you don't like what's going on, and you shouldn't, well, start to get together and say, how are we going to change this? Because this is what this is what you get. This is the fruit of our apathy. It's the fruit of our apathy. Another good suggestion was, why doesn't somebody on the current council, there's 14 others of them, bring forward a motion to say, you know, we're not all... We're, we're not all agreeing with the mm -hmm. mayor. We want it out there that we're we're not all, uh, you know, on the on the side of the terrorists, so to speak. Well, it seems so, more like the council's trying to run cover because they've turned into a giant issue. This has been the scandal of the century, of way overshadowing uh, Mayor Gondek's uh, actions. Was uh, Councillor Dan McLean apparently tuned into a council meeting from a golf course? Ooh, yeah. so. With apparently other councillors uh, also at the golf course, but uh, he was the only one they complained about. Imagine that, eh? Yeah, but he, he did attend and speak at, actually, the, the uh, menorah lighting. And I would think if any councillor would have brought forward somewhere with just some sort of censure or something with, with Mayor Gondick, it would have been clean. But now he's busy playing damage control because he dared to... Uh, uh, I, I, Either I, that or he knows the motion would fail. Yeah. Well, there's that too. I mean, it's a, Gondek's just the head of a council of kooks. Uh, you know, I think maybe we should commend Mr. McLean for his commitment and his dedication because even when he was out there playing golf, he still had the interests of the citizens of Calgary on his mind enough to dial in. And, it's ironic. And, years you know, of Parliament was dialing in through Zoom. I mean, the Liberal uh, members were even pissing during the meetings and, and uh, naked at walking times. around naked. So, <laughs> I mean, this is the standard today, is it not? Uh, a, a remote dial-in for your job is uh, acceptable. At least it's certainly not a giant scandal anymore. Well, I guess not. But he's got to write a letter of apology to all of us. Ah, I wonder what his score was. Well, I'll tell him, yeah. Tell him. He should just tell him that he'll write a letter of apology for being on the golf course when she writes a letter of apology for the stupid position that she's taken on this. It really is. It's just been astounding. You know, and we've watched politics a long time. We can be pretty cynical at times and expect the least, but still, I mean, as an experienced player, she just, she can't seem to read the room on this one. I mean... Even you don't have to apologize, but go to ground. You know, just just be quiet about it. Then let it go. But she won't. She's showing up on radio. She's actually, and she's not one for going to the press that often. We've seen more of her in the last week, unfortunately, than we have in the last two months. Well, I, maybe she's just going to do a scorched earth policy because she knows deep down she's not running again already. Well, could be. Well, and I hope so because, as you said too, it's her apathy. You know that it keeps getting the, these ones put in, which means you still have to watch not to replace Gondek with somebody worse. But uh, it's hard to knock incumbents off electorally before the flakes start talking. Well, I remember when we yeah. said we couldn't elect anybody worse than Nenshi. <laughs> look what happened. Yes. <laughs> well, and Nenshi was politically astute, whatever he Yes. Oh, be. yes. He was a smart politician. No doubt about that. He would not have stepped into this mess. No. And he must have uh, attended a menorah lighting or two in his day. Well, I would say, what? how long was he? And he must have attended nearly 10 of them. Yes. He didn't mm -hmm. skip them. And he's a... As far as I know, an observant Muslim. He exactly. Learns you set that aside. You represent as the mayor. You politely go. You smile. You don't have to agree with the room. You don't even have to like them. That's politics. Just do your part. Move on. Amen, Speaking brother. of moving on. Yes, let's move on to the federal front. Uh, you know, there's where the sane politicians are. 
Uh, Canada has really made its mark at the UN. Uh, Dave, what, what do we got going on? Yeah, it's, it, it came out yesterday morning, Corey, that uh, I think it was Australia, Canada, and New Zealand had uh, brokered this deal where they were going to uh, and now, you know, go plan for a ceasefire, ask for a ceasefire uh, in in Gaza. And it went to a vote at the United Nations and uh, it passed uh, 153 to nothing with Canada supporting it, including, you know, such luminaries as, as Russia and Syria. And uh, 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 the United States uh, uh, didn't vote. A whole bunch of countries, I think 26 countries, abstained. Uh, so, but that, uh, it caused outrage because... You know, I think right-minded people think that, you know, it's it's not Israel's, you know, it's Hamas caused this, right? If they want to, if they want to uh, get a ceasefire, then surrender, release all the hostages, lay down your arms. Uh, but they didn't do that. So uh, 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 Marcosino, the uh, the minister, what's his name again, sorry? Mendicino. Right, the, the former minister of lies. Uh, he within an hour he he was tweeting that he disagreed with uh, with Trudeau, and uh, and an, another liberal by the name of uh, was a horse feather. Horse feather. Uh, oh, sorry, uh, also uh, disagreed. So it's it's you know the first time you're seeing open an open tear a little bit in the uh, in the concern in the tor- sorry in the liberal ranks. Uh, so it's a very controversial position. Uh, uh, Melanie Jolie said, uh, "Yeah, all the Jews are going to be upset." Well, no, no, no. Yeah, right. Yes, yeah. they are. I was going to say no shit, Sherlock, but uh, <clears throat> I don't want to get bleeped. Uh, but yes, Jewish organizations are outraged. So you know, on uh, on uh, Tuesday, uh, Trudeau stood with hostages' families and and you know gave his support to the Israelis, and then the next day he stabs them in the back at at the UN. So. Uh, it's interesting that, uh, you know, there's all sorts of speculation that, uh, you know, the, the, the Muslim population in Canada is now much greater than the Israeli population, and he's pandering to where the votes are. Well, that's it. And something that some, I've seen some others point out was uh, Mendicino's uh, constituency, 18% of the population there is Jewish, which is pretty high uh, for any constituency in Canada, actually. So perhaps there's some political motive there. But Anthony uh, Housefather is Jewish himself, and he's been very outspoken throughout this this whole thing. But aside from Jewish people, I mean, the, the, the odiousness of this. I mean, Israel did cooperate in one ceasefire, and they did exchange. I mean, 150 terrorists they gave back to get, you know, a much smaller amount of, of their, their own citizens who had been taken hostage. They looked to extend it, but Hamas refused to give any more hostages back and then Hamas started launching rockets. Yes, Hamas broke the ceasefire. Yeah, but Israel catches the crap. And I, I think it's not just Jews, just Canadians in general get sick and tired of this victim blaming because that's what this is. Mm-hmm. No, they, uh, in, in Trudeau's statement, he had Trudeau had a long conversation with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. But he came out and he spoke to the you know, the press corps there in Ottawa. He said, well, what did you say? And he, he said a lot of things, but among them was that Canada was committed to a two-state solution. Well, good for Canada. Israel would be okay with a two-state solution, but Hamas is not. They do not want a two-state solution. They want a single state with them being it, 
and with every Jew expelled from the from the from that geographical area, they have been uncompromising on that. It's in the charter that governs Hamas. The, the destruction <coughs> of these Zionist entity is the is the goal, and so Mr. Trudeau takes us for fools again by suggesting that there is a position that reasonable people could take, could meet when in fact there isn't because we're not dealing with people who are reasonable and looking for a compromise. Well, I think he plays to a degree, unfortunately, on the Canadian ignorance of the Middle Eastern situation. Too. Well, it is a complicated mess over there. It always has been. But I mean, if Israel wanted a one-state solution, they've got the military hardware to get rid of any, every Palestinian. They could have done that two months ago. It would have taken them a couple of days to truly actually, all the things they're accused of, they could have carpet bombed, they could have indiscriminately have bombed, and they could have lobbed artillery over their own walls and never put a single soldier at risk and just wiped out the Palestinians. They didn't do it. They won't do it. Uh, likewise, I mean, people forget Palestine, Gaza, they had their own state for 18 years. They were given that. Israel pulled out. There's, there's, you want to find footage, they were taking Jewish settlers by force and pulling them out of there, saying, we're mm -hmm. giving it to these Gazans. Speaking and, of the disengagement in 2005, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, they got no credit for that. And how did uh, the Gazans react? Well, they didn't build their economy. They didn't build their society. They dug tunnels. They collected rockets. They trained terrorists. And I'm sorry, but they got their own asses handed to them yet again because they insist on killing their neighbors. And I'm getting tired of it. Mm -hmm. Those are mm -hmm. the neighbors. I, I note yesterday was, uh, the, the, you know, the billionaire leaders of Hamas are, are headquartered in uh, Qatar. Uh, they were told yesterday that uh, Qatar couldn't guarantee their safety anymore. Because the Mossad, Benjamin Netanyahu, has said we are going to eliminate every single one of them. So they've apparently fled uh, Qatar and turned their cell phones off. Uh, the rumors, maybe they're going to Algeria. But, uh, oh, you know, like remember, remember those terrorists who killed all the Israelis in the 1972 Olympics? And one by one, they were liquidated until they were all dead. Spend uh, years looking. Uh, spend years looking. Second uh, only to CRA, I would not want the Masada. No, a, a great book called Vengeance. If you want to, if you want to read about it, but uh, you know, uh, I have no doubt Israel it may take years, but Israel will get them one by one. They're gonna, and they have to. I mean, if Israel didn't defend itself, it would have been gone a long time ago. How many times has this happened? You know, in '68, uh, you know, and then the infantata—it just never seems to stop. And then they keep getting punished for defending themselves. And the good thing is, Netanyahu couldn't give to anything about what Justin Trudeau or New Zealand or some others want to tell him what to do. He's or, Biden. or Biden. Yeah. Or Biden. Or Biden. Well, Biden—he'll forget within an hour whatever he said, anyways. <laughs> but, but all the same, I mean, they can make all the motions they like at the UN. It's always been dominated by the terrorist states, anyways. Uh, Israel's going to do. But this is actually a first time for Canada to have Canada. not taken the line that shows some support for Israel. This is actually a, a threshold that has been crossed. If you want to look at it in those terms, we've always kind of been, especially when Harper was uh, was in uh, office, but, you know, even be, even since 2015 when um, Trudeau came to power, up until this point, we have always said, well, if Israel's got to do what Israel has got to do, and now we're saying we're not. And I have to wonder sometimes, what is the, what drives that way of thinking? It's obviously not uh, a, a, a sort of misplaced compassion. 
is it in fact a recognition of the, the, the voting demographics are changing in certain key uh, um, writings which you mentioned? Or is this where the new immigrants are coming from? Or what do we... It could be just crass politics. I mean, the biggest threat to, to Trudeau's re-election isn't so much Polyev, it's the NDP. And the NDP, or many of their members, are very strongly anti-Israel. So if Trudeau panders to them, perhaps he's feeling he can garner some of that far-left support and pull it back into the Liberal Party. I, I'm just speculating on the political benefits he might see. That's a vicious calumny that you've uttered against the NDP to say that they are in favor of people who murder and rape and burn. Mm. One needs only look onto social media and see the statements from the union heads and the NDP typical members. Uh, even, I mean, to the point of Ontario throwing out one of their MPPs because she was so beyond the pale. Sorry, guys, own your turf. Exactly. Now... Ugly times. I guess we'll go on to another subject that's a little bit negative as well, but still uh, not as dire as a dark as the Israel situation. Maybe there's something we can do about it, but the Canada's waiting lists, uh, healthcare-wise, I mean, it's an ongoing story, but it's just getting worse. worse. It's, it's dire if you need a new hip, I guess. Uh, to, here's where my research comes in, Corey. Aha, All right. got the seconds note, seconds of research. Uh, the annual uh, report on wait lists uh, done by the Fraser Institute was out yesterday. Just to see a general practitioner, or for, to go from your doctor to see a, a specialist right now, the average wait in Canada is 27 uh, 0.7 weeks, more than half a year. Uh, that is quadrupled since 1993, uh, when it only took 9.3 weeks. Uh, Ontario has the shortest wait lists, uh, 21.6 weeks, and no, uh, we little Nova Scotia has the longest. If you need to see a specialist, you have to wait more than a year, 56.7 weeks. Imagine that, how, you know, having to live with something yeah. for more than for more than a year. So obviously these, it's, the wait lists are getting longer and longer and longer. The money spent on healthcare is getting more and more and more. Something needs to be done, Corey. Well, I think what we need to do is that if we, I mean, right now, I don't have any sense that I'm going to need a hip replacement. But why don't I book my specialist appointment now in six months' time? Maybe, maybe it's... Maybe you will. Maybe I will need it, you know, as a ways around these things. You know, the, the, here's the thing about... The way the health system is organized in Canada is not, it's not that it's peculiar to Alberta or Ontario or Quebec or anywhere else. In all cases, the, the hospital authorities are funded on a per capita basis. If you serve an area with a million people, whatever the per capita is, you get a million of them, and there's your budget, and you've got to work within it. Now, if nobody comes into the hospital, it's no problem. But every person who comes in represents a draw. That has just come out of your budget. And so if you get a lot of people coming in, it is possible to go over your budget. How do you handle that? Well, you defer expenditures for as long as you can. So you tell the chap, don't send them over here. We'll take it out of next year's budget. Now then, is, is there another way to do it? Well, yes, there is. Supposing that hospitals, like supermarkets, were rewarded on the basis of customer choice. So if you elect to go to Hospital A, they, Hospital A gets to put <coughs> the shit in to the provincial government to get paid. 
the incentive then is for each individual hospital to promote itself because that's the way you get money. It's rather like every other enterprise that we deal with, whether it's car dealers or, or supermarkets or opticians, the, you draw your traffic to yourself by your excellence and getting the job done. We should be in a situation where hospital I'm, I'm going to be frivolous here, so all those people who are out there saying, he didn't really say that, did he? Now, I'm being frivolous, but look, you know, you should be in the position where the hospital administrator, somebody from their staff is down at the back, paying off the cab drivers who have brought the latest case into their emergency. And that person is into emergency and into the system before they can say, you know, it, it is, we've got to change the incentives in the system. Well, and it's just the Canada Health Act that, I mean, that creates this monopoly situation and very hospital-centric as absolutely we need some competition. We need to look at these patients mm -hmm. as actually assets, but ones that you compete for with good treatment. I mean, some of it too is if we have a fantastic orthopedic surgeon, why couldn't we have or a few of them? Why couldn't we have a few of them set up their teams and freestanding clinics that specialize in what they do and have those guys compete with each other? Say, hey, yeah, there's Dr. Larry over there. He's pretty good, but you know, I can get you in two weeks earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, here's my, my Google reviews to show that everybody's been all happy with the knee replacements I've done. And, oh, there's, there's Dr. You know, Don over there. He sucks. I mean, look at all these one stars. You know, don't go to his clinic. You're going to have a bad time. I know, again, it sounds crass, but it works. Yeah. As Nigel said, there's too much power resting with, with in the hospitals at the moment. And to their credit, the UCP is trying to change that. They're dismantling Alberta Health Services. They're taking the power away uh, from the hospitals and giving it up, you know, different different silos. So uh, I think we're the first in Canada to try that. And, you know, other people I can see, uh, if it works, jumping on board. Well, look, I'll give you an example of where it's, where it's actually happening. It's not in Canada. Back in 2014, uh, Harper went to the Middle East. He went principally to do a speech to the Knesset, but we had some other business that took us to Jordan. So now we're, we're, we're in the bus. We've got somebody local with us. And we're driving from one place to another in Amman. And we go down this street and he's pointing out all the private health facilities. Amman has stacked with private doctors and they are serving the entire Middle East and most of Europe. If you are in a hurry and you can afford it and you need quality medical care, then they recommend they find you a doctor in there. Doctors from all over the world. It's not like it's that Jordan has got an excellent medical school, but it's set up like a business. People come in and they get fixed and they get fixed very quickly. Now, there are some inequities. Not everybody can do that. And that always comes back to the, the argument uh, that, the, that the people who don't want to reform the, the health system come up with. But, you know, we're in the business. If you can get the people... Uh, uh, if you can move people through, you kind of make more room for the ones who are, who are left behind, and even they get seen a little quicker. And I'm sure that if you are a Jordanian citizen, there is some, there, there is some advantage to the fact that you've got the, this center of excellence for mm -hmm. medical, medical uh, expertise. And uh, Mexico has done it with dental work. Yeah, how you know, this? You know, flocking across the border, Canadians, Americans uh -huh. alike, to get uh, expensive dental work done for a fraction of the price. Apparently, you can you can pay for your hotel and your 
tweak, stay, and your airfare is out of what you save over going locally. Yeah, exactly. well, I'll give a direct example because that's what Jane and I did a couple of years ago. We got some work done. We were quoted at over $10,000 for the work here. Yeah. Went to Algodones just across from Yuma. Yeah, you cross that border and it is like that. There, There's guys handing out for this clinic or that. And it, that little town has about 400 dentists there and fantastic, modern, professionally trained. You're still in Mexico. I mean, if you don't want the dental to try and sell you a sombrero or whatever, but but you get in there, it's clean, it's, it's very well done. We got it done for $2,500. Quickly, professionally, excellently, because they compete and, and they're medical professionals. I mean, that's part of it too, is we need the professionals. We need to give them incentive to come here. And if they, you know, hang their shingle, but right now we're in a system, I don't know if a specialist is gonna feel valued or properly utilized or, or whatever in a Canadian hospital right now, when they can, there's American or European or all sorts of others saying, you know, we can fix you up. We can put you in a better environment to mm -hmm. perform your profession. Uh, our system is very rigid when it comes to that as well. Biggest mistake Rolf Klein ever made was Bill 11, which banned private hospitals in Alberta. Uh, none of what I'm talking about and what you're, you're agreeing with me, I think, uh, can happen because of that bill. And it was just uh, by peace with the, the labor unions that represent the medical profession. Well, any bill can be received. Exactly. We're getting a new bill. <laughs> bill 12. Or bill 11.9. Would Premier Smith be willing? I mean, she's got so many irons in the fire and so much fury right now. Does she want? I mean, I'd love to see it. But do you think she's going to want to poke into that hornet's nest? Because, boy, that's a big one. If she's going to do it, she better do it within 12 months. And then let the system play out. Showing what a great idea it was. Sooner rather than later, you're going to start seeing some, some outcomes. Uh, I, I, it was interesting. With the, I had Tim Mullen, a paramedic, on my show last week, and he talked about it with the uh, Smith mandating the end of hallway care, and they've seen improvements. I mean, if somebody puts their foot down, apparently there is room to move in that system, but you've really got to have somebody willing to stand up to the status quo and, and stare them down. And they've already moved, uh, removed a lot of senior vice presidents, and uh, you know, the job is underway. She certainly made it clear that she means business anyway, so that's that's good. I guess we'll see, and we'll keep commenting on it and trying to encourage the government to go the right way if they're listening to us. I don't know. Maybe we're just talking to ourselves, but we've got to keep trying. Let's not stop what it says on Twitter. <laughs> oh, Twitter, I'm not going to start. You Twitter. see the comments. Come on. Oh, there's. I get the odd comment there myself. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, all right. Well, that's all the time we've got to solve the world's problems today. So, uh, Nigel, Dave... Thank you very Thank you. much for indulging me today as we delved into these issues this week. And Always a pleasure to indulge you, Corey. Just glad my research yeah. was fruitful, paid off. <laughs> yes. But you didn't have Azerbaijan, did you? I did not have Azerbaijan. <laughs> there in the details, my friend. Sorry. There we go. We'll, we'll see what next week's climax is all about. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in this week. And, yes, be sure to support independent media like the Western Standard and tune into our channel so you can see the other content we've got out there. We will see you all again next week at this time. Canadian Shooting Sports Association. Without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long, long ago. These guys are on the front lines helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms regulations and legislation in Canada. And more importantly, educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. To become a member, it's absolutely worth every penny. You can become a Western Standard member for just $10 a month or $99 a year for unlimited access.